Thank you, Kathy. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Today we'll also be in Psalms 22. Thank you for letting us take time of our part of our worship and go to Africa and cut some of that short. I want you to meet some of these missionaries. Today we talk about confidence and how appropriate for me this week was it that, well, the events that took place in Ortonville, having moved there this summer and living in downtown Ortonville, the events that took place, if you follow the news, well, the shooting took place, well, less than a half a mile from our house. And then the man that did it was caught less than a mile from our house. In fact, while all this was going on, and since it turned out that the people will survive, I'll use it as an illustration, all this was going on, I unknowingly went on a walk that night. I was on my phone talking with somebody and walked right into where all of these things were taking place. I walked back to my house, and I was standing outside of my house on the phone, and all of a sudden, two Oakland County Sheriff's deputies and vehicle, two different vehicles, came pulling up on me. And they pulled and blocked off the road where we live, and one of the deputies rolled down his window and said, Sir, what's your name? I kind of took my phone and I said, hold on a second. And I said, why are you asking? The other officer got out of the car and I had my hand because it was cold and said, sir, take your hand out of your pocket. There's been a murder and you match the description. <laughs> to which I promptly changed my tune and went, my name is Steve. I live there. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. The police were going through our backyard. There were helicopters all night and day over our house as we were right there because behind our house is 75 acres of woods that butted up to where that man was going through. And so it was a very hectic night. My son and I were kind of anxious. My wife would not let us go out with our dog looking for this person. But I said, I have a dog and I got a gun. What else do I need? And she said, no, I'm not going to be a widow. You're going to help me raise these kids. How quickly confidence can change, can it? One of the things we liked about moving out into Ortonville is because Ortonville, nothing happens. Wrong we were. A few people from Clarkston would quit coming up there. But anyways, listen, confidence can be taken away very quickly, can it? Listen, if you're taking notes today, our thought about the battle is this. My confidence is secure in the God of victory. Oh, it's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 that says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Have you ever thought about the places that we put our confidence? We put our confidence in some really shaky things. The United States federal government. Some of you are confident that this month, the next month, they're going to send you a check. We put our confidence in paper things like money. That paper piece of paper isn't even backed up by gold. It's only worth because we think it's worth something. We put our confidence in people we don't even know. Really? I was alive when they first built that Zawaki Bridge up on 75. I remember Channel 7 being there as that bridge swayed back and forth. And every time I go over that bridge, I see Bill Bonds interviewing somebody. And my mind is like, oh, please, Lord, let me get over this bridge. But I place my confidence in people I have no idea who they are. Listen, if you can trust God for salvation, you can trust him for anything. Today, as we've been talking about David and Saul, there's an interesting dynamic taking place. David is getting closer to God. And as he gets closer to God, his confidence will increase. But Saul 
Listen, it's not that Saul is getting further from God. That's not the issue you need to focus on. The reality is that Saul is becoming more and more concerned about himself. Listen, it is not usually sin or some drug or addiction or drugs that will pull you away from God. What will pull you further away from God is concern only about yourself. And the further Saul gets concerned about himself, he walks away from God. And oddly enough, his confidence is going down. So we pick up the battle again. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 10, we see the Israelite army. In verse 10, it says this, And the Philistine, well, this is Goliath. We know this is coming. Goliath said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. That word defy in the original Hebrew language, it literally means jeopardize. Satan is a roaring, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Sir, Satan is after your marriage. Sir, can I just say this to you? The events of the news in the last few weeks where the politicians, Hollywood and everything else. And I read an article and it was talking about how Mr. Pence, our, our vice president, and I find it ironic that Mr. Pence and I have the same rules about being alone with ladies and eating with ladies and driving with. We have the same rules and somebody was mocking Mr. Pence for those rules. Those rules look pretty good now, don't they? Sir, can I just say this to you? Your, those rules don't need to be in place to keep you from doing something. But it keeps somebody in place from accusing you, doesn't it? All it takes is one accusation, one comment, and your life is destroyed. Listen, all it takes is one little issue because Satan is just trying to destroy your marriage. Mommy's trying to get your kids. Grandma, grandpa, he's trying to get your grandkids. He is a roaming, roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. But you know what's good? Jesus is the greatest lion tamer that's ever been. Knowing Jesus, he brings confidence in any situation. I like this little joke. Two explorers were a jungle safari when suddenly a ferocious lion jumped in front of them. Keep calm, the first explorer whispered. Remember what we read in the book on wild animals. If you stay perfectly still and look the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. Sure, replied the second explorer. You've read the book and I've read the book. But has the lion read the book? Listen. The more I read the book, the more I get into this, the more confident I am. Yes, I know the events of the world can come close to home, even in a town like Ortonville, even in our area of the woods. I understand that. But no matter what happens, I'm trusting in Jesus as my Savior. No matter what happens, I'm trusting in the God of this book to take care of me. No matter what happens, I know the Holy Spirit is with me. So look at verse 10 again. And he says this, Give me a man that we may fight together. In verse 11, And when Saul and the Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Repeatedly in this chapter, the armies of God are in a state of fear. You want to know how low their confidence is? If you like to put notes in your Bible, the, the authorized version that I'm using says dismayed. In the original language, what dismayed means, it means Shaking and knocking of knees. Do you see the picture of the army of God standing there as Goliath challenges them and their knees are knocking together? Can I give you an example of fear? I'll give you an example of fear. Randomly, right now, I'm going to choose somebody to come up here and give their testimony and talk to the church for the next five minutes. So randomly, I'm just going to pick somebody. I'm not going to do that. Some of you just thought, I'm leaving. 
This is my last Sunday. Fake a heart attack, sweetheart. Do something. I'm not going up there. There's a fear. Now, <clears throat> there's some of you who are like, pick me. I got something to say, right? You're the ones we won't pick. But do you understand that in humankind, that the number one fear everyone has, the number one fear is public speaking. Do you know what number two is? Number two is death. Death is number two. So at a funeral, more people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. In this state of fear with knees knocking together and people, this is a huge guy. We don't want to fight him. Enters David. Look at verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite of Benjamin Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Eight sons. Remember that. And the man went among them for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse's went and followed Saul to battle. And the names of the three that went to battle were Elab, the firstborn, and Abedim, the second, and the third, Shema. Now, wait a second. How many sons did it say David had? Somebody. There was eight. Je David is the youngest, and he's got seven older brothers and sisters. He has eight, excuse me, seven older brothers. He has eight but how many are there at the battle? There's only three at the battle. Why? Well, the verse right there in verse 12 tells us why. The man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. Do you know why Jesse only sent three of his boys to fight there? It's because he has no confidence in Saul. He has watched Saul behave. He has seen how Saul has conducted himself and he's saying this, I'm an old man. I'm not going to have any more boys. I've got eight boys and they're precious to me. And I'm not giving all eight of my kids to this guy named Saul because I have no confidence in him. I'll just send my three oldest. How'd you like to be those three, huh? You find out real quick who's mom's favorite and dad's. But let me just say this to you. If you're taking notes, leader, a leader must first make those that are following him believe he knows the way. A little awkward. But a leader must first make those that are following him know he knows the way. Dad, sir, you are the leader of your home. You are supposed to be the spiritual leader of your home. That can take on different forms. My father was quieter. Some of you might be more vocal. That can take on different forms, and it can translate and, and demonstrate in different ways. But, sir, you are the first minister to your children. You are the first minister to your wife. You are the spiritual leader of your home. Please, sir, do not make your wife take the church, the kids to church. Please do not make your wife take on that role of having to be the spiritual leader of your home. You make those decisions. You bring your family. You lead them in every aspect. And, sir, may I say this to you before you're even the leader? Do your kids know you know the way? My father, who's gone home to be with the Lord, one of the things I always knew about him, I could always call him and he could fix any car problem I have. I would tell you something. Don't ask me to fix your car. My kids know that right now. They're Nathan's vehicles. My They're always like, Dad, can you give us money to have it fixed? Because they know. Don't ask Dad because nine times out of ten it's going to get worse. But I'd like to think that my kids know they can come to Dad and ask him something. That Dad is the spiritual leader. May I suggest to you today the issue maybe in most of our homes? <sighs> Sir, I'm going to talk to you for a second. The problem isn't your wife. The problem is you. I found very few ladies 
Very few ladies who don't love to have a strong man who loves Jesus. Because a strong man who loves Jesus lifts a woman up, treats her like the vessel of honor that she is. Sir, maybe it's this. Maybe it's the reason that you're not the leader you should be is because you're not following Jesus, because you don't know Jesus. Watch this restated here in verse 14. All right, sir, I'm leaving you. I'm going back to everyone now, okay? Look at this restated in verse 14. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. You know, you see the story in Sunday school. They skip over this part. For 40 days, Goliath comes out and taunts the armies of the nation of Israel. 40 days. This is not just one day battle. We think of it just happening. No, for 40 days. And I thought about that. That term 40. I am not somebody who puts a lot of stock in numbers. I do not try to mythologize the the word of God. I do not try to over-spiritualize things. Sometimes five just means five. But there are certain numbers in the Bible. Greg, be ready because we're going to do this fast. The number 40, as I thought about that 40, the number 40 in the Bible symbolizes completion and permanent change to God's judgment. Completion and permanent change to God's... Want to see? I'm going to give you a bunch of these. Here we go. In Genesis 7:17, the flood was 40 days. God's judgment was complete. In Exodus 16:35, the children of Israel ate manna for 40 days. The completion of God's leadership took place. In Exodus 24, 14, Moses went in the midst of the cloud and sat down in the mountain. And Moses was in the midst, was in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. In that 40 days, God's word became complete to his people. In Acts 1, 3, to whom also he showed himself alive, his passion and valuable proofs, being seen of them 40 days. Jesus, after the resurrection, was seen 40 days. His ministry was complete in 40 days. In Mark chapter 1, verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Jesus. Jesus fasted 40 days before he's tempted of Satan. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, and Jonah began to enter the city of the Nineveh, the day's journey, and he cried and said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In 40 days, God said, he will judge the nation, the city of Nineveh and he will judge them unless they repent. So when I come here to this verse in verse 16, and it says, and Goliath was 40 days taunting and tormenting the people of God, there's a important significance to the number 40, isn't there? It symbolizes God's completion. It symbolizes God's judgment. And what's happened here at the end of Goliath taunting God's army, God's people for 40 days, God has had enough. Understand this, at the end of grace comes judgment. You may be experiencing day 30 of God's grace, but there's a day 40 coming. You may be far from God and doing things that nobody in the planet knows about, but just you and God. But you mark it down. Day 40 is coming, and God will have enough. In our story here, we see that God will send a man. I do not think I'm over-spiritualizing this, because it is David's throne that the Messiah will sit on. When God has had enough of the enemy, he sends a man by the name of David. Do you see the analogy between Jesus And David, God will send a man. God has sent a man, and his name is Jesus. And he is God, the second part of the Trinity, born of a virgin, 
living 33 sinless years. God sent a man because he had had enough, and he died on a cruel Roman cross. David will come because God has had enough, and he will defeat the giant. May I say to you today, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus has come, and he has defeated the giant of sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 clearly states that God promised to send someone, the Messiah, and he would crush Satan's head, the death blow. That is the cross. That is why I'm confident today. Because I have Jesus. Because I can go through anything if I have the God of the universe on my side. And no matter how much my heart hurts, I have the Holy Spirit who brings joy when most people can only see pain. I want to give you three things, and I'm going to go quickly. Three things that I'm confident in today. Turn over in your Bibles to Psalms 27. But three things I'm confident in today. Number one, be confident in heaven. Second Corinthians 5.8 says this, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. We use that amazing passage and often to talk, talking about those that we have long lost that have gone on ahead of us, and one day we will see them again. But may I say also that this passage here is a confidence for us because there's two things about eternity I'm secure in. Two things I know 100%. Number one, I deserve hell. Anybody else in here? Number, anyone? Oh, I guess I'm the only sinner. I've, I'm in confident today that I deserve hell. Anybody else? Amen. Romans 3.23 tells me that all have sinned. I was born in sin, conceived in sin, and I deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. But you know what? I'm also confident I will be in heaven. Not because of anything I've done, not because of baptism, church membership, not just because I'm an outstandingly good-looking man. Thank you for those of you who did not laugh at that. But I'm confident because I know Jesus. Can I just tell you this? I hope, feel free to judge me. But sometimes at funerals, I lie. Sometimes you have to. You can't get up there and say he was a no-good scoundrel, nobody cared about him, the world is better off not having him. Sometimes that's true. But I get up and I try to usually tell that the person has accepted Christ. I do funerals for people I don't know, and I, I'm not sure if they have or not, but I say that as a way to tell people that they should accept Christ. Can I just challenge you? Live a life that the preacher doesn't have to lie about you and doesn't have to guess whether or not you're in heaven. That everybody knows that you knew the one who died on the cross. Number two, be confident in your life purpose. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, he that we began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ Jesus. My boy now is 18, but when he was little, uh, we were watching a commercial, and I've never forgotten this. There was a commercial, and he's just this like six-year-old little boy. And it's a story, this commercial, this little boy is kind of carrying a, a lizard. And my boy likes lizards, and he still does. And he was carrying this lizard, and he was chasing this other little girl with a lizard. And it was a, story, it was a commercial for breaks. The little boy dropped his lizard in the middle of the road, and the girl kept going because, right, gentlemen, that's what they'll do. And the girl kept going, but the little boy ran back to get his, his lizard, and the, the car had to brake real hard. And it was like, how confident are you? And the little boy saw it. And I told Nate, and he was there, and I said, listen, I don't care what it is. I don't care what type of, what favorite lizard or whatever. You never go back into a street for anything. And he said, well, Dad, what if it's my favorite pet? I said, I don't, pet. I said, I don't care. We'll buy you another one. And then being that he is my son, thought about it for a moment. 
and say, well, Dad, uh, what if the lizard has a million dollars in its mouth? Only Nate. And I said, I don't care, not even for a million dollars. I wanted to say, well, we could get the million out of it, the squished lizard. So, but I didn't want to confuse him. But I told him, I said, no, 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 you're worth more than a million dollars. Now, that was at six. At 18, I'm not, anyways, but how many of us have thrown away the will of God, the plan, the purpose of God in our life for something as silly as money? And number three, out of Psalm 27, be confident in the battle. Put this psalm in context. David is the author of this psalm. Think about what he is thinking when he writes this. This is after David and Goliath. In verse 1, it says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Ah, that sounds like today. The Lord is my strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who is David's source in the midst of the battle? His source in the midst of everything going on, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of words like cancer, in the midst of words like defeat, and about to face a large man, nine foot two inches, David says, the source of my strength, my confidence, is in the Lord. In verse 2, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came up against me to eat my flesh. Oh, if you know the story, you know what's going to happen next week, right? Goliath is going to tell David, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take your flesh, and I'm going to throw it to the birds, and I'm going to devour you. This is what's going on in David's mind. He's remembering what Goliath is saying. And you know, I... Being a man and being close to somebody like David, I think as David was writing these words and talking about, oh, my flesh, he thought back to that moment of Goliath, and I think part of David wanted to go, who ate whose flesh that day, giant? And he says this, don't believe this? They stumble and fell. Hey, I don't want to ruin the end of the story, but the giant falls if you don't know that. Then the host should encamp against me. Again, What was taking place, the Philistines were encamped against the Israelites. And my heart shall not fear. What a bold statement to be able to make. In everything going on, I will not have fear. The war, there it is, back to the battle. The war should rise against me. What does David say at the end of this verse? In this will I be confident. In the middle of the battle. David is confident. Why? Because he knew and had the Lord on his side. An archaeologist was digging in the desert in Israel and came upon a casket containing a mummy. After examining it, he called the curator of an Israeli museum to come over. They've just discovered a 3,000-year-old mummy, a man who died of a heart attack, heart failure. He excited with, the scientists excited with explanation. The curator said, well, I'm glad you found him, but bring him in and we'll check on him. After looking at him, the archaeologist asked him and said, you're right about the mummy's age and the cause of death, but how do you know he died of heart failure? The archaeologist said, well, that's easy. He said, I found this little piece of paper in his hand and it said this, 10,000 shekels on Goliath. You got to think that through a little bit. He bet on Goliath and lost You know what, in the midst of a great battle, the world is crazy, isn't it? Scary times. 
Pastor Steve, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it through the end of the year. I'm a single mom. How am I going to raise that little child? The doctors are running tests right now, and you don't even know this, Pastor. Nobody knows it, but they're running tests, and I'm not sure what they're going to say. Everybody's doing better economically, but, man, we're not. I'm not sure we're going to keep our house. I just don't know if I want to keep going, Pastor. It seems so bad. In the midst of times of confusion in your life, be confident. Be confident that you know the Lord. We said this, and I've, I think some of you might be wondering, why is Pastor taking so long in building up to David and Goliath? One, it's my favorite story. David's my favorite character. But there's a reason. I want to tell you, maybe you'll understand better why. We've said repeatedly these last three weeks that we need to fight God's fight. And we inadvertently take Goliath and make him our fight. And we put up something like our health, our finances or something. And we say, that is my Goliath. And that's what we're going to do. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to destroy that Goliath. And I want to remind you that those are not God's fights. That's actually the wrong thing. God's fights are people to be saved. God's fight are the protection of children. God's fight are the pain of sin. Those are the things God is concerned about. Listen, if you're here today and you want your daughter, you want your son to come to know Christ, that's a fight God wants to fight. If you're here today and there's somebody you care about and their life are being destroyed by sin, by addiction, that is a fight God wants to fight. Listen, God cares about kids. He cares about people being saved. But what we need to do, we need to stop fighting it our way and start using, like we saw last week, the fight and the tool that God has given us. Truth, righteousness, preparation with the gospel, faith, protection of salvation, the sword of the Lord, and prayer. You say, why is this important to you? Because I know firsthand that if you keep fighting fights that are not God's fights, and you keep demanding that God win battles for you that he has no intention of fighting or did not have the plan, if God steps in and intervenes and cures you and heals you, you know what that is? That's grace. God does not owe me perfect health. Amen? If God steps in and makes your credit card payment paid off, that is nothing more than grace. He does not owe me financial security. Amen? If you keep making God fight Goliaths that are not his battles and you keep losing, your faith and confidence in God will be shaken. And how I know that? You have very rarely heard me ever say anything disparagingly about my father. He was a great man of God and led my home. But my father when he was a young man, thought about going into the ministry. He was a Sunday school class teacher. He was in the choir. He was a bus route worker. He did all these different things. And then he said that God didn't call him, and so he didn't answer that, answer, answer that call. But when my mom and him were first married, you see, I always say I'm the youngest of seven. I'm not. I'm the youngest of nine. My mom and dad had a miscarriage when they first got married, six months. And then my oldest sister, Dawn, was born. And then my, really, my oldest brother, Dale, was born. Dale lived one day. And my dad held that little baby all alone. Nobody in the church came to visit him, no deacon, no pastor, nobody visited him. And my dad held on to that baby and kept telling my mom, God will not do this to us. Well, that little one went home. One day old Dale was. 
And after that moment, my father started to back away from God. Because he tried to make God fight a battle. God said, I don't have to fight. He tried to put God as a Goliath, a battle, and God against a Goliath, that God said, these are not my Goliaths. You see, some of you are in here, you're here, you would have people you love because God intervened, and God could have intervened in my brother Dale's life, amen? He could have if he chose to. And my father backed away from God because he made God fight a battle that God said, I don't have to fight. If you keep making Goliath into things God never designed him to be, your confidence will be shaken. See, some of you here, you're right now. This might be your last Sunday. This might be your last time with Jesus. And you're upset with God. And because God did not perform the way you wanted him to perform, let me remind you that God's battles are people being saved, children being protected, and people being warned of the pain of sin. He did not say everyone has to live that we want. He did not say everyone has to have financial security. He did not say everyone's plans have to go the way they do. And you thought about it, and you made Goliath into something he never was. And your confidence in God has been shaken. You know what God does? My father was making a ridiculous amount of money as a journeyman tool and dye worker in the 70s. My dad was a very gifted man with his hands. If you ever ate a, in the 90s a, a Frito uh, uh, potato chips, you know those ruffles? I have a picture of it in my office. My dad designed and installed that machine. They sent them all across the country. He tried to send them across the world, but he wouldn't go. He designed the machine that put the stamp in the Ruffles potato chips. Very talented man. But after the 70s, my, what God did? Hey, let's not have a job for two years. Remember 1979? And I watched my dad. See, there was a, there's two different dads me and my brothers and sisters had. So my older brothers and sisters have dad who was just Sunday morning dad. I never knew that dad. The dad I knew was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation, everything else, and you're going to serve Jesus no matter what in my home. Because what God had to do is humble my father. And I watched my dad fall in love with Jesus and get his confidence again. Have confidence, but don't make God fight battles he never intended you to have. Maybe that explains why Pastor Steve talks a little bit more about this than what you thought he should. Every head bowed and every eye closed.